from BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast, is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. What's up, this your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. It's Tuesday, December 6th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. The hot weight loss drug Wegovi is in short supply and high demand. The drug has proven to help people lose as much as 15% of their weight by suppressing appetite. But the company expected a more gradual adoption of the drug and has lost out on tons of potential cash. Peter Loftus, pharma reporter at the Wall Street Journal, joins us for why you can't find Wegovi. Next, the real ID requirement for air travel has been delayed once again. Americans will have two more years until May 2025 to go to the DMV and provide the proper paperwork. The deadline was extended to help DMVs with pandemic-related setbacks. To date, only about 49% of people have gotten their updated IDs. Luz Lasso, transportation reporter at the Washington Post, joins us for what to know. Finally, a pair of marijuana bills may be attached to must-pass year-end bills in Congress. A bipartisan group of senators will be trying to add the Safe Banking Act to allow cannabis businesses to access loans and open bank accounts, and the HOPE Act, which would provide grants to states that expunge former convictions. Sophia Kai, congressional reporter at Axios, joins us for the plan to pass pot legislation. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in. So the results for Wegovy and the trials have come out. Um, patients were taking it for about 16 weeks or so, and they lost about 12% of their body weight. Joining us now is Peter Loftus, pharma reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Peter. Thanks for having me on. Well, we've been talking about Wegovy and uh, Ozempic and a couple of the other drugs uh, that contain semaglutide about the its weight loss properties and how it's kind of, at least on the Ozempic side, it's become this Hollywood weight loss drug. Wegovy has uh, come out to a lot of fanfare as well. The problem is it's so hard to find right now. There's so many prescriptions out there. It's in the company. Novo Nordisk is having a hard time meeting all that demand for the drug. But Peter, you took a look into it. Why? We can't find Wegovy specifically right now. That's one of their drugs there. And they just kind of flubbed the whole rollout, it seems like. It's an interesting look into it. So, Peter, tell us a little bit more about it. One of the early factors was that before Novo Nordisk came out with Wegovy, which was in the middle of 2021, they had one view of what kind of a market it was going to be. And that view was, was more conservative. They thought, you know, that eventually it could be a big selling drug and that there could be a lot of prescriptions written, but that that would take time. 
And this was sort of based on their experience with an older weight loss drug, uh, Saxenda, as well as other older weight loss drugs. Those older drugs had more modest weight loss effects, and a lot of insurers didn't cover them. And so Novo Nordisk went into this thinking, okay, we, we like what we have with Vigovi. We know it can help people lose up to 15% of their body weight. But just based on our experience with this market, we think it's going to take some time for it to grow. And so as a result, they set up a certain level of manufacturing capacity that was in line with that more conservative view of how quickly this market would grow. And then what happened was once it came on the market, the demand was was huge. It was really above what they had expected. And I think it, I think that was a combination of that it did have a better benefit for weight loss than most drugs before. And I think social media had become so much more established since the last time a weight loss drug came out that the word started to spread virally, really with no help from Novo Nordis. They weren't actually necessarily promoting it. It just kind of spread on its own. And so that that really led to an increase in demand. And so let's talk a little bit about the money because that's always such an important part, right? So the market for anti-obesity drugs right now is worth $2.4 billion worldwide. They say it could be $50 billion by 2030. So when they were talking about Wegovi, they've made around $700 million in sales to date. But what they were projecting just for Wegovi sales for 2021 and 2022 was $2 billion. So they, they kind of uh, blew it on that front, just a missed opportunity when it comes to making boatloads of cash. Analysts were predicting that um, that figure, $2 billion, and yes, they've fallen short. And I should say that another factor here that came up later was that a contract manufacturer that Novo Nordisk was working with to help with one step of the production process had some issues where they were having basically quality problems at their plant and they had to scale back manufacturing. And so that was something that, that made it an even worse situation than might have been the case even with Novo's conservative outlook for how quickly this market would grow. So it was really kind yeah. of one factor was planning for a more cautious outlook, a more conservative growth pattern, but then this totally unplanned manufacturing snafu that that also kind of compounded the matter. Yeah, and as you mentioned, you know, social media played a huge part in it. People were seeing it all over the place on TikTok and YouTube and they said, "Hey, I want to get in on this uh, weight loss drug. You mentioned that other um, that other drug, Sexenda, right? So in five weeks, it took doctors to write new prescriptions for Rigovi at the same weekly volume that it took the other drug, Sexenda, four years to reach. That's how quick this thing shot up. And so what is Novo Nordisk doing now? They're saying that they're going to kind of do a relaunch early next year. They will have enough supply to meet that demand, they say. They've taken steps to build an inventory of, um, you know, this drug comes in a range of doses. And so they've they've had to make sure that they've got an equal amount of all doses out there. And they're lining up more manufacturing capacity, both internally and externally, so that at some point, I think they, they think by early 2023, they should be able to say, okay, really any new patient can get this. Because that, that's really been the net effect so far is that Patients who had started on Wegovy by a certain point, uh, many of them were able to continue on sort of the maintenance dose. But for many people, if they hadn't started on it by a certain point, they just weren't going to start on it at all. So that's what right. Novo is 
expecting soon to be able to say, like, anyone can, can start to get this drug and we should have a sufficient supply. And, and what a happy, I mean, happy side effect, I guess you can call it, right, for unexpected for what was supposed to be a diabetes drug. That's why, uh, you know, people are looking to the Wegovi, they're looking to Ozempic. They were looking to another one as alternatives to Wegovi because they couldn't get it. But these are diabetes drugs, which is kind of one of the, the most interesting parts of it. Yeah, it's like um, they, it's kind of like drugs for, for two diseases in one drug. And um, these companies, Novo and, and their competitors, they, they did find in the past that studying these types of drugs for diabetes, they did see this effect of weight loss. But I think it's really just in the past few years where the magnet, by, by sort of refining these drugs and coming up with better versions of them, They've seen that the, the magnitude of the weight loss has become really striking to the point where it's not just a happy side effect for people with diabetes to lose weight, but it's a drug specifically to lose weight, including for people who don't even have diabetes. And so that's where there's been the real shift and I think why there's such a big market opportunity for these drugs. Well, if you're looking for Wegovi, maybe next year, Peter Loftus, pharma reporter at The Wall Street Journal, thank you very much for joining us. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We said our government was supposed to start implementation of Real ID at U.S. airports next May, but now we get until May of 2025. Joining us now is Luz Lasso, transportation reporter at The Washington Post. Thanks for joining us, Luz. Oh, thanks for having me. Delayed again. So we, for some time now, we've been getting told we need to get a real ID, go into the DMV, provide them with a bunch of different documents. They'll give you a new driver's license or ID card. Most of them have a star in the upper right-hand corner. But this program has constantly been put on delays. You know, uh, everybody's going to be needing it to uh, board any domestic air flights pretty soon. Now it's been delayed again to the point of it. Uh, so, Luz, tell us a little bit more about what we're learning about the real ID delays. So the good news, I guess, for people who are not, who still don't have the real ID is that they're going to get two more years, 24 months to get the real ID. Um, it was supposed to, the federal government was supposed to start implementation of real ID at U.S. airports next May, but now we get until May of 2025. And that means people, about half, I think, of Americans still don't have a real ID. And so they get a chance to go get it <laughs> before that deadline. <laughs> yeah. So uh, some numbers for it. About 137 million real IDs have been issued nationwide. That's about 49% of state issued IDs that are in circulation right now. Full disclosure, I have not gotten my real ID. I had been putting it off for a little <laughs> bit. I do have my passport. So I'm in, in that sense of things, I was like, well, I can fly if I need to. I have my passport. It's not a big deal. But you're right. I mean, it, to that point, it's, it's so easy to kind of put off. We went through the pandemic. These are actually some of the reasons why they're putting it off. They're to give the DMV to kind of catch back up after the pandemic so they can uh, uh, help people out with it. That's right. So a lot of some states actually didn't start issuing real ID in 2018, 2019, and then we got the pandemic, right? And a lot of DMVs had to close or reduce service. And so it basically slowed down the process of 
people being able to get the real ID, one of the challenges is that if you are applying to get a real ID, you need to go to the actual branch, to the DMV branch to get it, because you have to present your documents in person. And so that has been one of the challenges. And as you remember, some of these DMVs were closed for months and they had backlogs of, you know, just not just real ID, but all kinds of things that people do at the DMV. And so now they're going to get extra time. And and that's good news because like you said, you have your passport and a lot of people probably do. But the most common document that people use when they're flying domestically, it's a driver's license or a state ID. And so you have thousands of Americans who still don't have it. And if, if they were to implement it now, they will go to the security, TSA security line and they will be turned away. And so that, that was the main concern. Tell me a little bit briefly about why we're required to get real IDs. This goes back to the September 11th terrorist attacks where they wanted to set minimum security standards for driver's license and IDs so they know who's flying. But this is how far back this goes. The plan was set in motion that that long ago, right? And it's taking this long to be implemented. Right. So the program was actually the result of the recommendations from the 9-11 Commission. And the main reason is that 18 of the 19 hijackers for the September 11 attacks were had obtained state IDs, and some of them illegally or fraudulently. And so they wanted to standardize kind of the requirements to make the state licenses and IDs more secure. And um, at the beginning of the process, this law passed in 2005, and it was supposed to be implemented in 2008. So we're talking about, you know, by the time this is implemented, fully implemented, it's going to be 17 years, right? (laughs) Uh, But one of the challenges is that some states opposed it. They they didn't start, you know, they they said it was a federal mandate that wasn't funded. So it took quite a bit, a few years for some states to start issuing this this new credential. And here we are many years later, and some of them are just still getting started. Luz Lazo, transportation reporter at The Washington Post. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote. It's going to be very difficult unless this Safe Banking Act passes for marijuana-related businesses to actually set up accounts and do financial transactions in the way most of us do. Joining us now is Sophia Kai. 
congressional reporter at Axios. Thanks for joining us, Sophia. For sure. Let's talk about what's going to be going on uh, pretty soon in the Senate. It looks like a bipartisan group led by Senate uh, Majority Leader for now, Chuck Schumer, they might be uh, trying to attach some pretty significant marijuana legislation to uh, year-end bills, these must-pass bills that they always work on at, at the end of the year before they go on recess. So, Sophia, tell us a little bit more. What are we seeing with these marijuana bills going on? Yeah, so, I mean, this has been in the works. For I would say more than a year now, Leader Schumer has been trying to pass some form of marijuana legislation. And remember, he started off with an even broader piece that really descheduled, uh, I mean, it tried to deschedule marijuana as a Schedule One drug. And that was a piece of legislation that did not get any support. I think maybe one Republican senator was interested in it. You know, which really means that it had no chances of passing. So it didn't even make it to the floor. I think what we're seeing now is a more narrow and targeted, but still it's a two-part bill. One of them basically allows marijuana companies that are in states where it is legal to access a banking system. And, you know, the other piece of this legislation, it allows the DOJ to provide states and local governments with more funding for expungement. So as you know, most of these convictions are at the state and local level. And so folks who are convicted with a very small amount of marijuana, that remains on their record, you know, unless they get it expunged or in some way removed from their record. And so that's another piece of this, and it's the criminal justice piece of this that will draw more Democrats to it. Yeah, and we saw President Biden uh, expunge a lot of stuff on the federal level. He, at that time, he, they suggested, you know, that states could follow through and do it on their own. Some said yes, some hadn't done anything about it. But yeah, this would help on that front. And before we get back into the banking part of it, because I think that's a huge one, what is making this a go right now is I guess they cleared this with the Justice Department, they, you know, saying, hey, uh, you know, we can attach these bills into something like the National Defense Authorization Act. Yes. So the Justice Department reviewed the bill earlier this year and they said, hey, look, we may have some problems with implementing the bill because it could make it harder for us to prosecute other crimes, drug related crimes, money laundering related crimes. And that's what's wrong with the bill. And so they sent back a list of changes and they're sort of like line level changes. And, you know, Democratic leadership has told me that they have made all of these revisions, that they've addressed the concerns with the DOJ. But, you know, it really still is yet to be seen if this bipartisan group, which right now includes three Republican senators, if they will be able to get to the magic number of 10, which is how many votes that they will need to pass a 50-50 Senate and and a filibuster. Yeah, right now, those Republican senators we're looking at are Senators Steve Daines, Rand Paul, and Dan Sullivan. So, yeah, so we'll see if they can get some more people on board. Back to the banking part of it, because I think that's an important one. So that one's called the Safe Banking Act, Secure and Fair Enforcement Banking Act. That's an important one because, you know, a lot of times we'll see these uh, dispensaries pop up. A lot of times we'll see thefts at dispensaries because they're always operating in cash. And that's a big important one. There's also a big impediment into opening places of business because they can't secure loans. So this might be uh, another step in, you know, further legitimizing a lot of these businesses. 
Yeah, I mean, it would be huge for these companies, you know, providing, and a lot of these are minority-owned businesses. So providing those business owners who want to start marijuana business with the funding, you know, electronically through these formal banking systems that most all other businesses have access to, you know, would be huge. It would be a boom for the industry at the state level. Um, and it would have larger ramifications for the industry as a whole. Yeah. So, you know, that's sort of where it stands as for the banking portion of it. One of the interesting things, obviously, is this doesn't do anything huge like legalize marijuana on a federal level. It's still a schedule on drug, uh, you know, things like heroin, LSD fall under that same umbrella. But President Biden did sign a medical marijuana research bill, I'm assuming, so we can uh, use it in some more studies. What does that look like? Yeah, I mean, I think that's just tell us more. It comes after President Biden also issued uh, through executive action those federal pardons that you talked about. And as another piece of that, and equally as important, is that he asked DOJ to review the status of marijuana as a Schedule One drug. So, you know, that sort of opens the gate for considerations for potentially descheduling it, but like no promises have been made. And this research bill, it's sort of just that. It provides more funding opportunities yeah. to sort of look into into the drug. All right. Well, we'll keep an eye out, see as this uh, the end of the year starts approaching very, very quickly. We'll see if uh, any of this poses a problem <laughs> to passing some of those last minute bills that they always have to get into. Sophia Kai, congressional reporter at Axios. Thank you very much for joining us. For sure. Thanks. That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive is produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Xfinity has free premium networks for everyone this month, no matter what kind of entertainment you love. Addicted to true crime? Catch killer cases and more spine-tingling shows on A&E Crime Central. Crave adventure? Explore Asian action movies on Hayah. Searching for something extreme? Check out skating, snowboarding, and more on Fuel TV Plus, the global home of action sports. And find crowd-pleasing bops on iHeartRadio's Hit Nation playlist. There's new free shows and movies to love every week. Say free this week in your Xfinity voice remote.